today I want to start a, uh, a brand new series. We're going to go for the next three Sundays, a series called Freedom. Uh, a few years ago, I did I did a couple of months uh, on freedom from a different from a different perspective. But but today I just want to kind of start this and move right into it. Uh, Tommy's already mentioned a lot of things. I'm not going to rehash any of that. But just uh, just make sure you pay attention to everything that's going on. Uh, Galatians chapter five, Paul writes these words: "It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery." Now, that's going to be very important in just a few minutes. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If you could imagine this morning that your life could be a life of abundance, not just a life of survival, but a life that is filled with life, um, would you want that to become true? If you could imagine that, if you can imagine a life that is filled with life, a life of abundance, uh, a life that even in the face of difficulty, you can have your days filled with hope, with joy, with peace and purpose. I think all of us would sign up for that. I think we would all want to be there. Now, here's the thing. That is God's plans for you and I. That's God's plan. Biblically, he says those. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. One translation actually says that they have life and that more abundantly. That is exactly what God desires. And as we begin this pursuit, this journey toward freedom, uh, I want you to open your minds. I want you to open your hearts. Now, I will tell you this, that that type of life doesn't come flippantly. It doesn't come accidentally. It doesn't come by coincidence. It only happens when you are deliberate and intentional in your walk toward freedom. Now, before I get into this today, I want to say a thank you uh, to Pastor Chris Hodges and the Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama uh, for putting together what I personally believe to be the most significant discipleship tool in the last hundred years. And, it, and, it, and we, we've done some pilot classes. We've had a, a number of women's classes. I taught a men's pilot freedom class uh, last semester in our, in our uh, group life sessions on Wednesday nights. We'll be launching some more in February. But I believe that what they have put together is the most significant discipleship tool in the last hundred years, the last century. So I encourage you as we move through this to work toward it. What I'm just going to do is just hit the tops for three weeks. But you want to get down into this. If you really want to walk toward freedom, then you can do that come February. In Genesis chapter 2, if you're following along today, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, whether you're with your Bible or on version or on the screens, it says this, verse 89. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now let's drop down to verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but... How many, you know, there's that word. You can eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat... From the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, let me tell you something about negative commands in the Bible. There are some of them. There are way more positive commands than there are negative. But every time God gives us a negative command, it is for two reasons. It is to protect us and to provide for us. To protect us sometimes from ourselves, but ultimately from destruction and 
Number two, to provide for us the abundant life in which he, he wants all of us to have. That's the whole purpose behind this. So here we have this garden has been planted. Adam and Eve are in the garden. He places them in the garden. In the middle of the garden are two trees. He gives the two trees. He talks about it. He gives them two trees, one command, and then they make a choice. Their choice is the tree of knowledge. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Each tree, and this is, this is where we're going to start this, and this is, this is kind of the path that we're going to take. Each tree in the garden is a different path toward God. Each tree in the garden is a different way in which people try to connect with God and get to God. Um, the tree of knowledge says you've got to do more to get to God. What was their mindset when, when, the, when whether you believe in a literal serpent or not is irrelevant, but they're standing there and, and this, this conversation is had and the deal is you will be like God. You know, did God say you shall not? He said, no, God did. He said, she said, God did say we're not supposed to eat of this tree. But the serpent said, did, you know, he knows, God knows that when you eat of this tree, you're going to be like him having the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Jesus said, God had already told him, you can eat of any tree. You can have life. You can have life. Anytime you want life, you can have life. But just don't choose knowledge. And notice it's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, God wants good things for us, right? That's not the point here. The point is the posture or the journey that we take, or the, the road, if you will, that we take in getting to God. The tree of knowledge says, do more to get to God. If I want to be like God, then I've got to eat of the fruit. The tree of life says this, Jesus has already done it. Now remember, it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. John 5 says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now that sounds very non-biblical, doesn't it? Because we're always teaching you, we're reading the Bible through in a year together as a, as, a, as a family. We're reading the Bible through here at Gen U. We want to make sure that we do this. But now Jesus himself is saying, you search the scriptures diligently because you think in the scriptures you're going to find eternal life. And eternal life is not found in the scriptures. And you can hear a pin drop on the carpet this morning. Now, I'm not diminishing the power of the word at all. But I'm thinking that the people that he was speaking to, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious elite of the day, they spent all of their time studying the scriptures. They knew the Torah. They knew it inside and out. They knew the law. They knew all of the prophets. They knew everything that had been penned. They knew what was there. And they thought that by knowing that inside and out, that they would have life. But then Jesus said, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The tree of knowledge says that we got to keep trying to get God's approval. 
We've got to keep trying to earn it. It's a works righteousness mentality. If I do more and I, and, I, and I act right and I perform properly, then God's going to be pleased with me and he's going to give me a check mark by my name for that day and I'm good for that day. Now, I may screw up royally tomorrow, but at least today I got it right and I'm going to go to heaven today. We keep trying to earn God's approval. But the tree of life says this, receive the fact that God already loves you. Receive the fact that God already loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. <coughs> Excuse me. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter where you're living right now. I don't care if you are the, the most horrific person in character and indeed that's ever lived. I want you to understand this morning, in this house today, those that are listening on the internet this morning, I want you to understand, God already loves you. As a matter of fact, he said to us in Romans that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. So instead of trying to earn it by doing the right things, why not just understand and receive the fact that even in my present state, God loves me? That I don't have to do anything to earn his love. I just have to receive the fact that he does. It's kind of a novel idea, is it not? The tree of knowledge says that we obey God out of duty, obligation. The tree of life says we obey out of delight. 1 John 5, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not what? Burdensome. Oh, I have to go to church this morning. Some of you probably woke up this morning and your alarm went off a little bit earlier than normal because you're used to being here at 10 o'clock. And you had to be here at nine. And you probably rolled over and thought, maybe I'll go to the 1030 <laughs> today. But take that and, and, and move that into other areas of our life. Oh, I have to do right. And it's such a pain to do the right thing. But the Bible actually says that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. It's all in our approach. It's not about obligation or duty. It's about how we delight in the Lord. So what is our response to this? What is our response to this? Hold on a minute. I just <laughs> lost my sermon. So here's our response. I got it back. The first thing that we do is we have to determine to fall in love with Jesus. We've got to determine to fall in love with Jesus. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I, what I command. It comes, it's a different perspective. It's not I'm obligated. If I want to be a Christian, then I have to do these things. It's because I love Jesus that I choose to do these things. Look, I, I, don't, I don't look, I, I don't choose to not look at other women because there's a commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery. I don't look at other women because I love my wife. 
It's a different motivation. It's a different way. If you deal with them, we'll talk about this in just a second, but if your relationship is based on I love you more than anything else in this world and you're the person that I choose for my... My wife is not married to me because she needs me. Dear God, don't marry somebody because you need them. Marry somebody because you want them. It's a different motivation. It's a different motivation. And the same with me. I don't, I'm not married to Kim because I need her. I want her in my life. And we've been together for 37, almost 37 years now in marriage. And I can tell you that the motivation behind the relationship is what keeps you in a place of fidelity in your marriage. We made a covenant to one another, but we've developed our love for one another over the past 37 years to a point now where I don't want somebody else. And it's not because I'm old and ugly and nobody would want me. Okay? I mean, there's been those seasons and opportunities down through the years that you, you, know, you gotta do what the Bible says and that is you run from that stuff. But I don't run because I'm scared of going to hell and I don't run because I'm afraid I'm gonna slip up. I run because I love my wife and I don't run from somebody, I run to somebody. It's the same way with Jesus. It's the same way with Jesus. It's not, it's about falling in love with him. Know who he is and what he's done for you and I. While you and I were in our sin, while we were in our immorality, while we were in our rebellion, while we were in all of those things, Christ died for us. He loved us before we ever needed an opportunity to love him. And because of that, our motivation for serving and our response to our journey is not a response out of I need to know more, I want more knowledge, but it's about I want life and I need life. And so I choose Jesus. And I'm going to fall in love with him. Number two, the second response. Serve God through relationship, not rules. Serve him through relationship, not rules. Matthew 5, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Old Testament, if you want to see two different things, it's not, a, it's not mean God, good God, okay? We don't have a mean God in the Old Testament and a, and a gracious God in the, in the New. It's not that. We have the same God. But the motivation behind the two chapters in the meta narrative is this. The Old Testament was built around rules and commands to bring sin to the forefront. And it was about adhering to a strict code and all of those things. But Jesus comes on the scene. He restores the Eden concept again where now we're in relationship with God. We're not in a rules righteousness and a works righteousness mentality. Now we have Jesus in our life. And now we have communion and fellowship with the one who died for us on the cross. And so we're serving him out of relationship. Our approach is different. The tree of knowledge says, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. The tree of life says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will take your sin, and I will take them and cast them as far as the east is from the west. Come to me, and I will write your sins. Though they may be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. In other words, I'll take the tally book, and I'll stamp my blood on it, and I will wash it away. The Old Testament's about sacrifice, where you sacrifice for the sins of your family or the sins of a nation, and you've got to kill an animal, and you've got to pour blood all over everything, and it's got to happen all the time, all the time, all the time. Jesus dies on the cross once for all of our sins. It's a relationship. 
The curtain in the temple was torn. When Jesus said, it is finished, I give you my spirit, it was torn from top to bottom. Now, we don't have to go to a man to receive forgiveness of our sins. We don't have to sacrifice a bull or, an hour or a lamb to, for, our, for our sins forgiveness. Now, we go directly to the one who was the supreme sacrifice, who forgives all of our sin, past, present, and future, once for all mankind. Amen. It's about relationships. It's about having communication with the one that dies. Let me, let me tell you something. Yeah, but I've got this temptation. I've got this thing going. I've got that thing going. You know, temptation is a test of your relationship, not your test of self-control. Temptation is not about self-control. Oh, I've just got to be stronger-willed. No. If you fall in love with Jesus and you're in relationship with him, when temptation comes, you don't run to your desires. You run to him. Here's another side note. The more you run to him, the more he becomes your desire. That's what freedom is. That's what freedom is. When we choose the tree of life, then we move into the relationship side of things. Number three, we respond to all sin in our life with life. I, I, maybe I, I may be the only one that's ever had to deal with this down in, my, in my life. But I can remember, and still sometimes I shadow box some stuff. Sometimes I just have to, old demons start creeping up and you, and you feel like you, you know, you're, you're, you're shadow boxing and, and you're trying to, and you deal with the condemnation and the guilt that tries to creep back in again. But here's the thing that I'm learning. If I respond to the sin in my life with life, then I don't live in condemnation. I don't live in guilt. You say, well, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to sin. Sorry. I'm afraid it doesn't work that way, and anybody that does what I do that says it works that way, they're wrong. Bad, bad wrong. Look, pastor's what I do. It's not who I am. Phil Daniels is who I am, man, human, male, fallible human being, just like you. We're all fallible. We all make mistakes. We all have sin in our life, but we respond to sin in our life with life. In Romans chapter 8, he says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thank God every time, every time I read the story of the, of the adulterous woman in Scripture, where these, these guys, they, <laughs> evidently they were standing outside the window, peeking through the curtain. Nothing said about them, but technically they were the preachers of that day. Remember, preachers are human. But they dragged this woman out, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and said, this woman, according to the law, according to the tree of knowledge, she should die. Because the law says, if you're caught in the act of adultery, and she was caught in the act, they said, the very act. So they looked. We're not going to talk about where the dude is. They didn't bring him. Might have been one of their buddies. I don't know. That's just speculation, so don't write that down and say, Phil said it was one of the... I, I didn't say that. But they bring her and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they, and they give him the knowledge. They give him the route, the tree of knowledge, where the tree of knowledge says we got to abide by every 
The old King James says, jot and tittle of the law. And the law says that she should die. We got to stone her, pick up, and everybody's got rocks in their hands. And Jesus bent down, he's writing something in the ground and, and all this. And he looks up and he says, well, I'll tell you what, let's do it this way. You're, you're right. Uh, so those of you that are without sin, you get to throw the first rock. And then rocks start falling all over the marketplace there, and they walk away, and then Jesus is doodling in the dirt again, and he finally looks up and says, Woman, where are your accusers? She said, There are none, Lord. And he says something very important. He says, Neither do I condemn you. Grace. But then that graceful moment, he says, You really need to think about leaving this life. Go and sin no more. So what does he do? He speaks truth. If I love Jesus, I'm going to respond to the sin in my life with life. I'm going to accept his grace from my life. I'm going to recognize that what I did was wrong. But I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I'm going to apologize when I need to apologize. I'm going to say I'm sorry when I need to I'm sorry. But I'm going to take my sin and I'm going to put it back under the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to walk in the life that he's promised to give me. Because it's not about how I perform. It's about the way Jesus has positioned me in his household. Number four. Y'all may see me with paper next week, I don't know. Guard your heart. From going back. Guard your heart from going back. How do you do that? Well, you first have to ask this question. What am I going to do to be the most faithful, godly person I can be? And I'm not talking about being a, an individual that you're so bitter and mean and nasty because you've got to do all these do's and don'ts that nobody wants to be around you. I'm not talking about someone who's got a chip on their shoulder looking at everybody else's life going, well, you need to repent of that and clean up your act or you're going to bust hell wide. You're going to hell on the bullet. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why Christians are some of the mean and most cantankerous people that, that God's ever put on the planet. But sometimes we are. And, I, and I've learned a long time ago that sheep bite. They just do. <laughs> sheep bite. They're not these little fuzzy, little beautiful little things that just eh, all the time. I mean, you look at yourself. The reason that guy's got that staff is sometimes they'll bite you. Pop. You know? Here's the deal. If I make a decision every day to choose life, Adam and Eve could have eaten of any tree they wanted to. They could have eaten of the tree of life every day that they existed. but they wanted more. They wanted to be God. And in trying to become something they were never destined to be, they lost everything. Choose life. Choose life. I love this Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. It says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses. Get this. This is God speaking. I call the heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. 
Then he says this, now choose life. Choose life. Yeah, but I just want to know. I just want to know. I just want to know. Here's what, here's what the New Testament, the relationship side of the Bible says. That there is a group of individuals, as the days grow shorter, there's a group of individuals that are ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, we should be people of we should be people that have knowledge. We should be intellectual people. We should engage our brain. This is not some blindless uh, cloning robotic lifestyle. It's not about that. It's about engaging your brain and recognizing I can choose the knowledge of good and evil, but that ends in death, or I can choose life, and that life is more abundant because here's the real deal. We need to understand that Jesus Christ is the tree of life. He is the tree of life. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose life. Let's stand all over the room this morning. I was watching one of the... Uh, Indiana Jones movies last weekend with my grandsons. Um, the Last Crusade, where they're looking for the grail. How many of you Indiana Jones fans we have in the house? Good. Okay. Good, because I don't want to explain the whole thing. <laughs> they finally get to where the grail is. And the lady, she says, I want to make that, I want to choose this. She, she, she chooses this elaborate cup. And the guy that was wanting a cup for what he could gain the knowledge it would give him, eternal life and all these kind of things. He drinks and he, it's a really ugly thing. And the old knight that's back in the background, he says, he chose poorly. <laughs> Adam and Eve chose poorly. But you know the cool thing about the God that we serve? He knew the moment they chose knowledge. And he still chooses to come down to the garden. And when they hear him coming into the garden, like he did every day, they were scared and they ran and hid because they realized they were naked. Shame had entered. And so they grabbed a couple of fig leaves off of another tree in the garden and went and hid themselves, and God's calling to them. He comes looking for them, and he has a dialogue with them. And he doesn't leave them hopeless. He doesn't leave them naked. He doesn't leave them in their shame. The first blood sacrifices in the Garden of Eden. Jesus takes two animals, sacrifices them, takes the skins, creates clothing for them, and covers them in their nakedness and their shame. As wonderful as that is, the most wonderful thing is this, that God came looking for them. Look, maybe you're in this house this morning, and maybe you've chosen the tree of knowledge. 
time and time again. Maybe you made that choice this morning. Maybe you're sitting here and you've got this fight going on inside you. God's doing the same thing for you and I that he did for Adam and Eve. He's looking for us. He's pursuing us because he wants to bring life into our life. And he wants us to have life that's abundant and full. He wants us to have joy and peace and contentment, even in the face of difficulty and adversity. And he wants to bring about a destiny in you and I that when we are going through the most horrific times of our life, we can still have peace and we can still be content and we can be free of condemnation and guilt because we know that we're in a relationship with our creator, the one who died for us.